BridgeBank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to the risk takers, the game changers, and the disruptors. BridgeBank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank, be bold, venture wisely. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. Get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. From KQED. This is the California Report. Good morning. I'm Lily Jamali. We begin this morning with the debate over how to reopen parts of the state, even as the COVID-19 pandemic rages on. As California moves to reopen bars, gyms, and other businesses on Friday, some areas are seeing their coronavirus numbers spike. CAP Radio's Nicole Nixon reports that hospitalizations in Sacramento have quadrupled over two weeks ago. None of the 25 new hospitalizations have been linked to recent protests over the police killing of George Floyd. Instead, Sacramento County Health Director Peter Bielinson says they've mostly been traced back to private social gatherings. Two birthday parties, including one birthday party where a lot of people came from out of town, a funeral and a church um, event. That's prompted him to remind residents to wear a mask in public and continue social distancing. Despite the increase, Bielinson says he plans to move ahead with new reopenings. Sacramento County still has less than half the coronavirus hospitalizations it did during a peak in early April. But the bump has landed the county on a state watch list, along with Santa Clara, Fresno, and a half dozen other counties. They're being monitored as California prepares to move into a new stage of reopening this Friday. For the California Report, I'm Nicole Nixon in Sacramento. There remains a great divide in parts of our state over whether wearing masks should be required. Scientists say they protect those around you and help stop the spread of the coronavirus. But in Stockton last night, the city council voted down a push by Mayor Michael Tubbs to make masks mandatory in public. In Orange County, the debate has grown so intense that the county's public health director has resigned. Here with more is my California Report co-host Saul Gonzalez. Saul? Lily, Dr. Nicole Quick resigned after Orange County's order requiring people to wear face masks in public sparked an intense and sustained public backlash. Critics argue that wearing face coverings limits their personal freedom and could itself be a health danger by making it harder for some people to breathe. Their criticisms of Quick got pretty ugly and personal, with one member of the public reading out Quick's home address at a Board of Supervisors meeting and threatening that protesters would show up at her doorstep. At another supervisor's meeting, some who attended brought a poster of Quick with a Hitler mustache superimposed on her face and an image of a swastika. In response to such incidents, the Orange County Sheriff's Department assigned Quick a security detail. As part of a resignation deal with the county, Quick will receive a $75,000 severance payment. Lily? 
Thank you, Saul. Well, let's turn from the pandemic to widespread calls for police reform prompted by the killing of George Floyd. In Sacramento this week, with Governor Gavin Newsom's backing, Democratic state lawmakers have introduced legislation that would outlaw police from using certain holds to restrain people. Assembly Bill 1196 bans chokeholds, including the carotid restraint that halts blood from flowing to someone's brain. Assemblyman Mike Gibson from Carson authored that bill, and he joins me now. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you very much for having me. It bears mentioning, I think, at the top of this discussion that you are a former police officer. And I wonder, how did that experience shape uh, your involvement in crafting this bill? You know, being a police officer and a former police officer, I signed up to, to, to serve and protect the community against bad people. And so when given the opportunities I have now to look at what's taking place in the nation, uh, it was something that I had to do and I had to address. Um, And so when I was a police officer um, way back when, um, this is not a procedure that anyone on my department or the department I was working for, I ever witnessed or actually saw um, anyone do this. This was not even taught in the academy in which... Mm. I I attended. And so I I can't speak to seeing this ever used other than television, other than police officers um, throughout the nation being captured on video applying these two holes. When I was growing up in Los Angeles, we had a a racist police chief by the name of Chief Daryl Gates um, who talked about the chokehold and gave the justification that black people had soft necks. So those were the only ones who were dying because of a chokehold. But that practice was banned in the city of Los Angeles years ago. And Mm -hmm. we have seen systematically other departments and other cities banning uh, not only chokeholds, but also the carotid hold as well. Sir, how have you responded to critics, and there are still critics out there, who say that these techniques are safe if they're used properly. Have you felt compelled to dialogue with unions and law enforcement officers who still support their use? Well, you know what? I think it's about a a much broader conversation. California is not the only state that's calling for it. And we've seen demonstrations in California from uh, Oakland, San Francisco, Sacramento, all the way to Watts, Hollywood, um, San Pedro. So it's happening all over California. But it's also happening in Minneapolis. It's happening in New York, Detroit, Chicago. It's happening all over the United States of America. Not only the United States of America, but it's also happening internationally. The public is demanding something different. The public is demanding reform. And we have to, as policymakers, if we're true to who we are and our position, our constituency is saying they want change and they want change now. And they can't wait. And they want it now. Sir, how hard is it to move any police reform bill through the legislature? Uh, Have you ever tried moving a mountain? (laughs) Have you ever tried picking up a car? So Mm -hmm. it's extremely hard. But again, uh, the time is now. The country is crying for hope. Assemblyman, I really appreciate you taking this time with us. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. More than half a dozen California members of Congress are calling on the Trump administration to stop using high-tech surveillance gear to monitor peaceful protests. They sent a letter to four federal agencies yesterday. KQED's Raquel Maria Dillon reports. 
35 members of Congress, led by the Bay Area's Anna Eshoo, signed the letter. It calls on the FBI, the Drug Enforcement Agency, Customs and Border Protection, and the National Guard to stop flying drones and aircraft over demonstrations with devices that act like fake cell phone towers to trick phones into connecting so law enforcement can harvest data. The letter says Americans shouldn't have to put their phones in airplane mode to protect themselves while peacefully demonstrating. The National Guard and CBP said law enforcement asked for surveillance drones to help them track where crowds were heading, not to identify specific people. The FBI said in a statement that its efforts were focused on identifying, investigating, and disrupting individuals who were inciting violence or engaging in criminal activity. For The California Report, I'm Raquel Maria Dillon. From Washington to Sacramento now, the legislature is seeking to help undocumented immigrants on the health care front. Lawmakers are supporting a plan to expand Medi-Cal to undocumented adults 65 and older. But as KQED politics reporter Katie Orr tells us, the move faces opposition from the governor. Governor Gavin Newsom is not opposed to the idea of expanding the state's low-income health insurance program. He actually proposed more than $80 million for it in his January budget. But since then, the coronavirus has decimated the state's economy, leaving California with a $54 billion deficit. And when Newsom announced his revised budget plan in May, the Medi-Cal expansion wasn't in it. That's just one of the many things that we wanted to do that I announced at least my support and intention in January that unfortunately we're not in a position at this time uh, to advance. The legislature doesn't agree. Lawmakers included the expansion in their budget proposal, though they pushed back the implementation to 2022 and gave the governor the ability to delay it further. Rachel Lynn Gish is with Health Access California. She says the delay is disappointing, but she's happy the legislature is still considering the needs of undocumented seniors. They've always needed this care. They need it now more than ever. We're in the middle of a pandemic that is especially preying on our senior population. And undocumented seniors are even more at risk because they are excluded from these programs. CSU Fullerton Public Health Assistant Professor Shana Charles says past Medi-Cal expansions have shown covering more people is a good investment for the state. We get savings in terms of reduced health care costs. When people have insurance, then they are much more likely to get care earlier and that's much cheaper care. The governor and lawmakers are currently negotiating what will be included in the final spending plan. The legislature must pass a balanced budget by next Monday. For the California Report, I'm Katie Orr in Sacramento. Even before the COVID-19 pandemic, income and wealth inequality were rampant throughout the state, especially in communities of color. One program aimed at addressing that was supposed to put cash into the pockets of the working poor. But as KQED politics editor Scott Schaefer reports, it's not available to many immigrant families, at least not yet. Five years ago, California created its own version of a federal program called the Earned Income Tax Credit, or EITC. It gives low-income people who file federal income taxes a cash refund. Supporters like Sasha Feldstein with the California Immigrant Policy Center say the program rewards work. Because the more that you earn, the more you can get through the credit. So that's a reason why conservatives and Republicans tend to like the EITCs. But there's a catch. If one or more family member isn't entitled to receive a Social Security number, the entire family is ineligible for the tax credit. 
That's Rosalba, a 41-year-old immigrant who came to the U.S. from Mexico 18 years ago with her three-month-old daughter. Because she and her husband, Javier, came to the U.S. illegally, we're just using her first name. Like so many families these days, Rosalba and Javier are working far fewer hours in their restaurant jobs in San Diego due to the pandemic. And she says they could really use the $1,600 her family would get from the Cal EITC if they were eligible. The earned income tax would make a huge difference for my family, especially under the conditions right now. Rosalba and her husband have been paying taxes for 17 years. They have three kids born here, but her family isn't eligible for the Cal EITC. Alyssa Anderson with the California Budget and Policy Center says that's unfair, given the state currently offers about $60 billion of tax breaks each year, most of them going to corporations and wealthier residents. The same tax system that excludes immigrants who are overwhelmingly people of color provides enormous benefits to mostly white Californians. And so that just perpetuates uh, racial inequalities. In fact, undocumented immigrants are ineligible for a wide range of safety net programs, like Social Security. When Governor Newsom announced a program to give them one-time cash payments during the pandemic, he noted how little undocumented immigrants get back for the taxes they pay. Paying just last year over $2.5 billion of local and state taxes. Yet many in mixed-status families are having a hard time taking care of their children. While Newsom supports the Cal EITC, he's yet to embrace extending it to undocumented tax filers. Democratic Assemblywoman Eloise Reyes from San Bernardino is sponsoring a bill to change that. These immigrants are going to continue to live here. Uh, many of them have U.S.-born children. And more importantly, they're working and they are filing their taxes here. In its version of the state budget, the legislature proposes expanding the tax credit to undocumented families with children who are younger than six. That still leaves many people ineligible. We'll find out this week during the final budget negotiations whether Governor Newsom accepts that compromise. For the California Report, I'm Scott Schaefer. And that is the California Report for this Wednesday, June 10th, a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Lily Jamali. Thanks so much for listening and have a great day, everyone. Support for the California Report comes from California Earthquake Authority, a not-for-profit offering earthquake insurance to help Californians protect their financial futures. For more information, visit earthquakeauthority.com. Personal Capital, offering remote telefinance services with financial advisors and digital financial planning tools, personalcapital.com. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose Fund for Strategic Innovation supports transformative ideas that benefit humanity while protecting the natural world, recognizing through science the interdependence of all living systems. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. 
Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out the Bay Curious book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on the Bay Curious podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get the Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find the link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! <laughs> 